Hi, my name is Michael Frank, and this is the Prefab Pod presented by Prefab Review, where we interview leading people and companies in the prefab housing industry. Today, we're speaking with uh, Parlin Meyer of Bright Built Home, a modular home company out of Portland, Maine. Welcome, Parlin. Thank you. It's great to be here. Well, so we're really excited to learn about your company. But first, um, you know, we're in sort of a niche industry, so I wanted to learn, how did you uh, get involved in this space? Uh, my personal involvement with this space has come from various um, angles. I joined this particular venture back in 2013. Um, I actually was brought in by an, a local architecture firm by the name of Kaplan Thompson Architects. Um, this was at that time a relatively small firm that was largely focused in the residential realm and specifically high performance and net zero residential. Um, when I joined the team in 2013, we were working together to try to develop an idea at that time of tapping into the offsite manufacturing industry in order to be able to bring um, high performance homes and net zero homes to a broader swath of the population. Um, so that's that's kind of how I came to this specific firm and the specific venture that is Bright Built Home. Um, I also had some other previous per personal involvement in working in the offsite industry. Um, I was connected with the Solar Decathlon from the Department of Energy and um, other various efforts. So I had had exposure to offsite construction and prefab ideas prior to joining Brightbuilt. Got it. And are you an architect by trade, or did you come up at it from some other kind of building background? Uh, I am. I have a master's in architecture. Got it. Cool. Um, so. At its core, what is the focus of Bright Build Home? Our focus really is it, it's, it's steeped in that initial mission of trying to bring um, net zero homes to more people, trying to make it more accessible, more attainable. Um, and in, in that mission, tapping into that existing infrastructure of the offsite construction industry in order to um, make the process more efficient make the process more predictable in terms of cost and as a whole by through those efficiencies and through the um, streamlining of the process ideally um, bring the overall cost of construction and the overall project cost down to a more attainable price point um, so that's that's been our mission from the get-go uh, that remains our driving force and um we continue to work on ways to improve, modify, streamline, find efficiencies, and continue to drive those those price markers down as much as possible, whether it be in smaller footprint designs or in efficiencies in the process itself. Got it. Um, and uh, when I look at your um, homes on your website, uh, a lot of them sort of have, you know, sort of a kind of a farmhouse feel to them. Mm -hmm. Is that just sort of the sensibilities in your company in Maine, or is there something about? Um, and we see that we see that with some other "quote unquote" high performance builders, especially like passive home companies. Is there a uh, is there something about that design that lends itself particularly well to uh, your goals around zero net energy? Yeah, I'm, I to some degree, yes, uh, and to some degree, it's it's drawn from the local vernacular. But what's driven the local vernacular is what's sensible for this climate. So the 12 pitch steep roofs that you see that are so typical of the farmhouse style, so to speak, um, 
are that's just for, is that for, that's for shedding snow yeah, for shedding snow and um and of course given the latitude that we're at especially here in maine it also just so happens to be a pretty appropriate roof angle for mm -hmm. solar panels so um so there's a lot of practicality that drives the design for sure um there definitely seems to be uh, a market interest in that vernacular uh so there's there's market driven aspects yeah. of it as well um but yeah it, it, it's a combination of, of everything really that's driven the design. That said, um, while we don't, we don't put modern designs and modern um, imagery out there in our we website per se, we absolutely could do more modern designs. And we are doing more modern designs specifically in our sidekick line, which is our smaller footprint line of homes um, that are geared towards accessory dwelling or um, kind of secondary camps. Uh, for that style of home. Um, so it, it, while we do, you're absolutely right, our, our website largely largely um, features that. You know, yeah, not finding the right word, but yeah, largely shows that vernacular, that sort of farmhouse style with some maybe contemporary elements. Um, we're, we're very open to doing more contemporary work yeah. as well. Let's, uh, let's dive into the ADU part. So again, we... Our company, we we help people do projects across the country. But I mean, basically, hope we're not biasing ourselves too much. We are two of our three biggest markets are the Bay Area mm -hmm. um, and uh, Los Angeles, um, and California as a whole has a lot of legislation that kind of uh, I would say makes it easier to get permits for uh, accessory dwellings. So we do do a lot of them on the West Coast. Um, are ADUs uh, an increasingly popular thing in this sort of footprint that you all serve, which I, I assume that's the, basically the Northeast, right? Yeah. Yeah. We're primarily in the Northeast. We basically work from Maine to Virginia currently. Um, we are looking to expand that in the coming years, but, but yes, the, the buzz around ADUs, I would say it's, it's pretty, it's getting louder <laughs> every year, it seems. Uh, there's a lot of interest in it, certainly from the standpoint of housing density and potential for, uh, you know, short-term rental income and those sorts of things. There's a lot of interest in it. Yeah. And multi-generational living is what we see a lot. <laughs> yeah, too, like. absolutely. It, it's, I will say it does seem to be a little bit different from the West Coast in terms of um, how readily embraced it's been. Um and what we found, so we launched our ADU line, the Sidekick line, a few years ago in response to that market interest in the notion of ADUs. Mm -hmm. But we, most of the buyers of the ADUs have actually been people who are putting the homes on on their own lots. They are not really accessory dwellings to an existing home. So this is really more of a small home movement than a uh, accessory. Yeah, yeah I know. We were, we were pretty surprised to find that that's really the bulk of, of the, the people who are at least getting to the finish line in terms of making the purchase and moving forward with the project. It's, it's a generally a freestanding home. It's either folks who want to downsize substantially mm -hmm. or in some cases it's a, it's a second home. It's a vacation home or, um, you know, a remote, remote, um, dwelling. Sense. It's kind of consistent with the idea of small homes on your, you know, little plot main or whatever. Um, that's cool. Um, okay. So just sort of moving back towards like, kind of what you do at your core um do you own your own factory or are you mostly contracting with others for uh the actual modular construction 
We, yeah, we partner with other factories. So we are an architecture firm. We were launched by an architecture firm and we are at our core designers. And so our mission has been very design driven and very uh, systems driven. So, um, so we, we also wanted to have the ability to be facile within the marketplace and um, not be limited to a restricted geographic area. So by structuring things in the way that we did, whereby we develop relationships and partnerships with various manufacturers, we're able to expand the geographic range in which we work. Um, and so, so yes, we don't own a factory of our own. We have uh, currently three factories with whom we're working through, uh, along the Northeast Eastern Seaboard. Um, and again, we're hoping to continue to build on that. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, can you, um, and obviously pass if you don't want to, can you talk about a lot of the, we're pretty nerdy. I mean, on our site, I think we've covered most of the factory, many of the factories on these, on these coasts. Can you talk about which factories you work with there now? Um, sure. Yeah. Uh, currently we're working with, um, Simplex Homes, mm-hmm. um, in Pennsylvania or whatever, Pennsylvania. they're Pennsylvania, yeah. Um, New England Homes slash Preferred Building Systems. That's mm-hmm. two jointly owned companies under the same roof uh, in Claremont, New Hampshire, and KBS Builders in um, Ox. Well, actually, South Paris, Maine. Cool. Um, and so I think this is one of the. And we talk to people of all different models, um, and that's great, by the way, because that means you know maybe we'll get some homes like you from you guys on the West Coast uh, sooner or later. Uh, no <laughs> Uh, but, uh, what, uh, so when you're, when you're doing diligence on a factory, um, like, will they be a good partner for us? Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that like one of the things that some, particularly now, when I think there's a lot of demand for housing that I've heard from other firms like yours is, Hey, it's actually hard to find a, a firm like on the West coast that wants to build like seven bespoke houses a year right? Like that scale doesn't register it. Um, what, what are you looking for in, a, in the relationship with a factory? Um, it's a great question. And, um, you know, every factory is so different in how they're set up and how they were, you know, their history, how they were formed, where they are now. I think philosophically, we tend to gravitate toward um, the factories that are sort of based at least, or foundationally based in mom and pop thinking and it's i guess pun intended factories that are willing to think outside the box mm. <laughs> like you suggest so um open-mindedness and willing willing to be willingness to be innovative um with their processes and and some factories simply say flat out it's not what we do we don't want to bring in a specialty insulation totally right like a champion homes factory is probably not yeah. not the place for you all right if they're if they're going to be doing mass production work it probably isn't as good a fit. So, um, yeah, mom and pop style, uh, family-owned factories or factories that have been established for many years and aren't part of a larger mass manufacturing consortium um, tend to be good fits for us because they have the flexibility in how they're set up to try and do new things. They're accustomed to doing custom work and custom builds. They're not doing mass production, multi-unit churnouts on an mm-hmm. annual basis in order to to make their um, business model work. Yeah. So. And how do, what, how do you, uh, and this is a question I don't have a good answer to, which is why I'm asking, how do you assess quality? Um, like we have it sort of an internal joke that every time we get a press release, someone says they build to a new smaller, qual- like a new smaller, qual- like quantity of precision, like 
we build to one sixty fourth of an inch, oh, or, yeah. you know what I mean? But uh, which we kind of consider to be sort of a vanity thing. Um, but like in terms of actually like, I don't know if precision is actually the right metric, but just in terms of saying like, we like the quality that these people build to, we think it'll work. How do you assess that? Uh, well, we definitely try to visit the factory. We have mm-hmm. conversations with the different, uh, and the different departments involved to get a sense of exactly how integrated they are as a unit. Um, so, you know, finding, finding, uh, companies that have in-house engineering that have in-house drafting that have in-house quality control and, um, yeah, and follow-up punch list crews, things like that. Those are good indicators to us that it's, it's a collective group that is invested in the final product. Um, and certainly visiting the factory, walking the line, visually inspecting the work that they're doing prior to when they're going to be producing one of our homes. Uh, the, the degree of openness they have to some of the specificity of our specifications. Um, that's an important factor if, if they push back on various elements of what we're asking to do with our wall assembly and our detailing. That's usually a little bit of a flag to suggest, okay, you know, if we're seeing pushback on the conceptual end, you're invariably going to find difficulties in the follow through. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think there are a number of factors that contribute to when we, we feel good about moving forward with a relationship. Mm-hmm. And then if, if I'm a, if I'm like just a, a customer and I want to buy one of your homes, do I end up just doing a design contract with you and a production contract with the factory? Or do I do both of those with you? It's and you can learn. Yeah. Essentially the former, except that the contract, the production contract actually is a construction agreement with a site builder. So, you know, as you're probably well familiar mm-hmm in most instances, instances with prefab and particularly modular, the modular right. manufacturer is separate from the site builder. Right. Who, the person who does the foundation and uh, the stitch and all that stuff. So that entity, that builder, the local builder, the local boots on the ground is the person who oversees the project from yes, the foundation and all the site prep stage all the way through to arrival of the modules and finish out of the house after the fact. And it is through that person that the modules are ordered from the factory. So, Oh, interesting. Okay. So that person kind of has like a GC like relationship over the whole process. Over the construction. Yes. Yeah. So we, it's, it's a, in some ways a traditional, um, division right. Ar- architecture relationship right. where, yeah, the client contracts with us for the design and then a contract with the builder for the construction. Got it. So, so does that mean that, that then like in terms of talking about costs, um, does that mean that y- your your business model in terms of just ends up kind of looking like an architect, meaning like whatever you end up getting like ten to fifteen percent of the like yeah, sort of ten to fifteen percent? But yeah, <laughs> what do you say? I said not ten to fifteen percent, but yes, um, yeah, it does. It, it does essentially look like that that setup, that arrangement. Yeah, we do stay. I will say though, we stay. You know, because this is what Brightbuilt has done is set up this entire process. Is the project coordinator and architectural designer who works directly with the client through the process is with the process all the way through. There isn't like there isn't a point at which we say, "Okay, we're done here." You know, good luck. Yeah. You know, we're we're sort of involved all the way through. There is um, a milestone or an event at which we we fill us. You know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, not philosophically, but uh, figuratively, pass the baton right, right. Design and, and construction so that the client has a clear delineation of to whom 
they address their questions or to right. they are running point with. But um, but yes, we stay. Yeah. When you were laughing about costs, was that because you end up taking a higher or a lower percentage? Um, uh, well, as yeah, a, 10 to 15% would be, a, at least on the East Coast, would be very high. Extremely unusual and high percentage of, well, I guess it's not extremely unusual. So, yeah, custom architectural work right, can, be, can get in that realm of 10 to 15%. But, um, but that's not that's not really so you end up being in the like five percent right i'm just uh, yeah what yeah, what would the lower it's so that's that's another value add i think to what we set up with Brightbuilt is that um you get effectively you know either a customized home right or seating custom yep or you can even do a custom design with us mm-hmm. uh for substantially lower uh architectural fees than you would find in any other architecture firm got it oh so, yeah and is that just because you have a lot of experience doing this or so you're like kind of working off sort of that boilerplate sounds negative, but like, you know, sort of somewhat set um, stuff or like just trying to understand like, why are you, why is, are, are you able to drive uh, better value? It's because of the process that we put in place. So it's, um, yep, it is in part because we're starting in some cases from a known design. If someone's choosing a design from within our portfolio to start from, but then we do, you know, we've, designed over 160 homes in um, six years and no two of them have been alike. <laughs> so while people may start from a collective common point, they invariably, you know, deviate from that. And we do some pretty significant modifications to the design to make it a home for the client, a home specific to the client and the client's site. Um, that makes sense. So one of the, one of the sort of things that I think it really varies on the, um, based on the companies, there's a few companies we work with that are like, basically like if you want to change like almost anything on the home outside of like sort of cosmetic fixtures, there's just like, that doesn't work. And then there are a bunch of companies that are like, basically the sort of designs we list on our website are more or less kind of advertising slash inspiration, but no one ever builds those. It sounds like you're a little closer to the latter in terms of your relationship with customers. It, yeah, I mean, to some right, exactly. Those representative models um, are placeholders to serve as a starting point, but um, but not necessarily where we have an exact facsimile of that. And are those mostly just homes you've built in the past, so you sort of already have plans and at least engineering specific to those sites? Well, the plans themselves were developed as a, por- a collective portfolio to launch Brightbuilt. Um, so. Uh-huh. Some of the plans, and initially all we had were renderings. They were just right. conceptual plans. So since we've launched and plans, you know, homes derived from those plans, have been yeah. we now Got have it. photographs. That makes sense. I was just looking at the website and some of them are actual photos. So it looks like yeah. some of them yeah. built. So we actually have built every single one of the designs currently shown in the portfolio. There are a few that are newer builds. And so we don't have finished photography of them yet. But all of those, all of those designs have now been built. So, in some variation. So if I'm building one of your homes, let's say, I don't know, pick your wealthy suburb of Boston, just because we tend to try to normalize our prices around expensive areas. So whatever, Lexington, Massachusetts or something. Mm-hmm. Um, what, and I understand that there's like a ton of variability, but let's assume a flat lot. Let's assume, you know, 2000 square foot house or something like that. What, like, would you um, try to help me kind of break down, like, what the sort of costs might look like? And it sounds like, right, like, there's sort of like a module cost, like a local building cost. I don't know if design cost or something might be a little separate. Um, How, 
whether it's on a per square foot basis or however, um, what that might that end up looking like to customers. Yeah, this is something obviously that we're pretty reticent to put out there as a hard. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, and I totally understand why. Um, yeah, it, it is. It's totally variable, and even a, a flat site in Lexington does, does look very different from a flat site in Maine. And does right, right. We, we, I mean, the key difference, right, is local labor cost would be considerably more expensive, right? Right. Yeah, and the other, well, the other factor too is that one, the one thing that. Um, I think has to be always understood anytime any pricing is explored by any client Mm -hmm. is what exactly that number includes. So I know that there are many different entities out there and and many of them um, in some ways wisely. Right. Slap a price for modules and it's not indicative of the cost to build is it or something like that. Sorry, I didn't catch that. I said, were you going to say like slap a price on the cost for modules, but that doesn't, isn't representative of like, um, no, well, I was going to say just, just speak to the cost of the house itself and don't, they, ex- you know, they, they exclude site costs. They exclude- yeah, exactly. Right. So, but we have never done that. We have always right. talked about all numbers, all in turnkey. Right. Which is, which is totally the right way to do it in terms of like what most customers actually care about. Right. Yeah. They care about the, you're going to want to load versus the pieces. Cost. Right. Yeah. Um, but that what that means then is the cost per square foot numbers that I'm putting out there represent that turnkey number. They include the site. They include. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We do we do the same thing. Yeah. So, so what we're seeing right now, and right now, as you are probably well aware, the the industry lumber is expensive. Yeah. Wildly, it just in almost a weekly to a monthly basis. It and we're speaking on March third, uh, twenty twenty one. Everyone, just so you know. I'm sorry. Say that again. Oh, sorry. I was just clarifying for the audience that we're speaking on March 3rd, 2021 for those interested. Um, Yes. So right now at this point in time, um, lumber costs have even doubled or, or tripled in just the last three months. Mm -hmm. Um, So what we are seeing in current day pricing um, ranges from about 250 to 325 a square foot, I would say for a fairly, you know, like nothing that has marble, entire interior you know like where the variables are fairly known and fairly Mm -hmm. in the middle in terms of selections so Mm -hmm. not standard basic but not blowing the roof off extravagant um and that that's that's about been the price point now of course it can go up to 350 to 375 as those variables increase or as site costs become more expensive and And you're saying you're saying those are generally the ranges so you're saying so if we were talking about like an expensive boston suburb like the one i mentioned you would be in the kind of three hundred plus dollars per square foot, probably. Yeah, I would say we'd be starting at three to three twenty per square foot in the mm-hmm. really high end markets. Um, mm-hmm. But the, but that said, that is another advantage that we offer, um, particularly in those really high end markets, because right, you have cost arbitrage on the like some of the process, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, we're we're you're not doing everything from start to finish with the local labor pool and with the local labor costs, and so you're offsetting a substantial portion, and, and you know, set up to seventy percent of the build out of the home is being done elsewhere, where labor labor rates are typically lower than your local region, mm-hmm. um, and so you're you're able to offset, and that's not to disparage. I mean, that that that's its own philosophical question, I guess, right there and there. But um, that said, as far as a consumer goes, if you are in a high-end market, taking advantage of offsite, taking advantage of prefab can make a ton of sense um, to be far more competitive in the cost of the project. Agreed. We've also find that um, 
it's just uh, less annoying from a uh, logistical standpoint of trying to get all your subs lined up in these areas that have like yep. pretty high demand as well. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> I mean, we're obviously a believer in in that as an advantage. And again, there's a reason that I think our a lot of many of our kind of popular markets are areas that are either very expensive, very seasonal, meaning like right, like a ski area where there's a, a short bit building window like have a fire, right? Like all these areas that kind of have like sort of peaking demand. It seems like it's a good way of offsetting that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so how, how do most customers find you? Really through um, organic searches on Google, um, search words. Um, we do have a strong, um, we have a very strong readership of our, our newsletter, but of course that that's after they found us. Mm-hmm. So uh, before COVID, we would have a lot of events and we would go to some local, um, you know, shows and and various places where we would be able to get word out to people who were looking for homes and that that they'd be exposed to us that way. But yeah, I would say the bulk, the vast majority of people find us through just organic searches, searching for prefab homes, net zero homes, modular, um, high performance, you know, various typical search words. That makes sense. And then are you, um, when, when we're talking about kind of the emphasis on high performance homes, uh, with you all, like how, uh, like how far down, like, cause we, we've had people go very far down that rabbit hole in, in a good way. Um, but like, how, like, is it, um, are you looking for certain rates of insulation? Is it mostly just like, we want to offset the amount of energy in the home with, whatever, uh, PV, you know, solar panels, um, like, yeah. What are sort of, what are the extents of that detail, um, that you emphasize and does that depend on a customer basis or is that just a general standard? No, we definitely have a very, um, preordained standard for performance. We are, we're striving to design and build homes that, um, have good amounts of insulation in the walls, good amounts of insulation in the roof and the foundation. Um, high performance window packages. So the envelope, the building shell, is very important to us, and we've we've developed our specific specifications around that. Um, and that then means that the overall heating and cooling requirements of the home um, are substantially reduced, and therefore it takes a lot less of a solar array or you know in, in, input of um, of energy. To run the home, so getting to net zero is much more achievable. And in terms of, you know, yes, there are some initial upfront capital costs in doing that, but what that also means is that from day one, your out-of-pocket costs are less than they would have been if you had built a code standard home. So yeah, the combined cost of utilities, cost of heating and cooling a home that isn't high performance, means that literally from day one you're saving money. Mm-hmm. If you, um, if you go for the high performance, then offset that with solar and um, go for net zero. So yes, the the building performance is a key element to our principles and our philosophy as a company. That's awesome. Um, okay, so we want. It's been awesome learning a little bit about your company. I want to move in because we have an expert like you on the call to our fire round. Um, Boy. These are like a handful of questions. They're one minute. Or less, and they're mostly questions we get from our audience. Um, so it's great to have people like you. So pass on anything you don't know about, or but uh, or want to pass on. But you know, 
uh, your input is always is great. So one of the questions being a company from Maine uh, is we occasionally get requests asking about modular for islands. And I know there are a number of islands off the coast of Maine. Do you have experience shipping modules to islands or looking into that? We do. Um, yep, we have done it. And um, we have a couple current projects that are on islands. There are more than just a few islands off the coast of Maine. We have thousands. <laughs> so, um, and many of them are occupied um, and, and built on. Uh, it's, I guess, because of that, we have some infrastructure in place in the state of Maine, and there are various transportation barge companies that can bring heavy equipment out to islands. Um, and you don't even necessarily need a, a bona fide ferry for offloading those. In fact, oftentimes the big equipment gets offloaded onto beaches or um, specific boat ramps um, because it's just easier to transfer from a barge to those surfaces. Do you end up do you end up having to bring cranes out as well for that stuff or Yep, always have to bring a crane as well. Cool. Um and just curious, what does that add in cost? I mean, we've we've done a little bit, and this is a crazier extension of going west coast to Hawaii. And oh, I think wow. that adds that adds about fifty dollars a square foot, which I assume is probably more than this adds, but just curious. Uh, well, that actually sounds less because um what we usually say is about a twenty five to thirty percent island upcharge. Oh really? Okay. So Maybe maybe we're getting good value there. I guess usually the, the the things they come on are a little bit. They're probably a little more industrial in terms of <laughs> right the ship size. Yeah, if you're uh, to Hawaii, I guess you're. Um, it's not even a comparative cost. You know, they're used to shipping things there. So exactly. Yeah. Um. Interesting. Um. Okay. So, what are the things to look at, uh, for um, as a consumer when understanding land feasibility? We we get this question a lot. Like, hey, this piece of land looks good. And we actually, honestly, we have a checklist we send to people. Um, but what are the things you uh, you tell uh, customers look for? For land. Um, wow. Uh, well, up here, we tell people to look out for any signs of ledge. Because um, that can mean a very expensive excavation if you have to blast. Um, we also recommend that the building site be as close to the road or the utilities. Uh, connections as possible because as you make a longer driveway and or go deeper yep. into the property, it adds substantial cost. Um, from For our homes where we are looking to do net zero and we're taking advantage of solar radiant heat, we advise that the quote unquote backyard or private side of the home be facing south. So right. that that's the side we're going to have with biggest windows possible and really mm -hmm. just have wide open to the sun. And so ideally that's not also the road facing side of the house if possible. Um, so yeah, uh, those are the main factors I'd say distance from the road or distance to utilities um, to some degree, how much clearing is required. Um, we happen to live in Maine in the state that is the most forested in the entire country. Um, and so clearing trees has sort of a different mentality than it does else elsewhere. <laughs> I would say um, but ideally we're not clearing trees if, if possible. Um, that, that makes sense. Do you find that one thing that we have people flag, um, that I've never, cause I, I feel like there's usually a way around this, but it's annoying. It can be annoying is power lines. How mm -hmm. much of an issue is that like being kind of in the way of where a crane would be, or do you usually find there's a way around that? So it's not usually that easy. We can find a way around it pretty easily. Um, in very tight urban infill sites, it right. can be an issue. Um, mm -hmm. it's not generally an insurmountable issue um, right. there are circumstances in which we've had to take lines down 
before the set day, the day that the crane is setting the modules. So that's an inconvenience, obviously, to the neighborhood. Right. Um, but I would say that's extremely rare. So yeah. usually it's something you can work around pretty easily. That makes sense. Um, now, last one, I think, um, if I'm doing a modular project, um, when should I, and maybe you all do this, um, when should I start working with a landscape designer and an interior designer, right? Because the sort of contributing design parts of the home. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in any case, anytime you have an integrated team or an integrated design team, the sooner the better, really, um, so that everybody is involved in the dialogue from the get-go and understands the evolution of the process. That said, um, I would say in terms of sequencing, um, you would want to start with at least the initial conceptual ideas of the architectural plans first. Mm -hmm. And once you have the concept taking shape, bringing the interior designer in at that point would make sense. Um, And then as, as things further take shape and you have a house that's clearly situated in its site, that's when it's good for the landscape architect to become involved. Um, so I would give that's, that's interesting. Uh, I, I think out of necessity, we end up, especially in areas that have design review, <laughs> end up definitely feels like bringing the landscape designer yeah. in pretty that's, early. We live in no man's land up here where right. some places like in Vermont and in some towns in Maine, there is no code, there is yeah. no review. And so it's very different from the West Coast where things yeah. are very meticulously reviewed. So right. Yeah, and that depends on where you are. Landscape architects may have much more uh, of a pivotal role at the outset. Early stage, yeah. Yeah. Um, Cool. Well, it's been awesome learning a a bunch more about your company. Um, It sounds like you you all are doing really cool work. Um, Final question before we get you out of here. Um, What are you most excited about um, for your company or for the industry for the near future? Uh, I'm most excited about how excited the marketplace is getting about prefab. It really, to me, has always made so much sense. And, you know, the the analogy that is commonly used in the industry, and you're probably very familiar with, is the idea of you wouldn't build a car, you wouldn't order a car and have them come and bring all the loose parts to your driveway and assemble the car for you. Um, And yet, that's still how we build houses, um, which just seems to me to be preposterous, especially when you see it in that context. Um, so I'm just really excited that there seems to be a groundswell of interest and excitement about prefab and offset construction, and um, and that locked in with that, the opportunity to build high-performance, better-performing homes is a tremendous gain for us as a country and us as a marketplace and just you know the residential building sector in general. I think there's a lot of latent potential. There's a lot of excitement in what lies ahead. And I think prefab is the perfect fit for what's coming down the pipe. So, That's awesome. uh, well, we're, we're, we're certainly biased, but very much in agreement with you on all that. Um, thanks again, Parlin for more information for everyone about Parlin and bright built home. Uh, you can visit their website, www.brightbuilthome.com. And as always, you can uh, visit us at prefabreview.com. Thanks again. Yeah, thank you so much. This is great.